You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, culture consultant and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. So far in this season, we've discussed how outward changes will impact the future of work. But what if in order for us to thrive in the future, we need to change not just our mindsets, but the very foundation that our businesses are built upon? There's no denying that many of the systems we follow are legacy systems, invented hundreds of years ago in a time when the world was much simpler. But this doesn't mean these systems are fit for purpose now. Yet time and time again, we still see businesses adopting old, outdated systems just because it's always been done that way. In today's episode, I'm talking about one of the biggest structures we all fall into without questioning it. Hierarchy. Is the hierarchical system we use by default in our businesses and organisations really helping our culture? Or is it actually the rotten core that leads to everything else falling apart? Today, I'm talking to Robin Roth, storyteller at Tradecraft, about the self-management system of holacracy and why ditching the hierarchy may be the best thing any business can do. Let's get started. Hi, Robin, and welcome to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. Introduce yourself and what you do. Yes, hi, Lizzie. Thank you for inviting me. My name's Robin, and today I'm here as the storyteller for Tradecraft. Tradecraft, um, I think, more or less invented the concept of fair trade back in the late 70s and early 80s and introduced many of the first fair trade products to the UK market. And I'm the storyteller because we we no longer have the exalted role of CEO and I fulfill a number of roles in the company. And when I do public speaking, then I'm fulfilling the role of storyteller. Fantastic. To some people listening, they might think that that sounds a bit bizarre. So to give everybody a little bit of a background, um, Robin and I met in January 2020. Yes, pre-COVID when the world was still relatively normal in quotes Um, and we met at the practitioner training for holacracy so Robin I think in your own words how would you describe holacracy to our audience? Yes I remember when we met back in Amsterdam I think in those days I was allowed to shake your hand Um, so (laughs) um, those days are long long gone. Holacracy is a system for running organizations, in our case, obviously a business, uh, in which you get rid of the hierarchy. Uh, So you replace a a top-down, wise, gray, often male and white CEO, and you replace it with a set of rules that allows everybody in the company to act as their own CEO of the roles that they have. And because you effectively delegate power to everybody else, 
the role of the CEO is effectively uh, abolished. And I have other roles, which are active roles, things that I do, such as storytelling or uh, board governance. Or during the COVID crisis, I had to take on the role of toilet cleaner because our cleaner came in with a cough and we had to send them home for two weeks and a new role emerged. And the way that Holacracy works is that jobs emerge, jobs have to be done. There is a recognition from within what those roles are. Roles are defined, someone is allocated to the role. And for as long as that role is relevant to the company, you do that role as if you were the CEO of a company that just did that role, which included toilet cleaning in that case. But it, it allows, it's, it's a wonderful system. We came across it a few years ago. It's a wonderful system for getting the best out of every single person in the company rather than expecting the guy, often the guy at the top, to have some sort of magical understanding of every job and every role and somehow magically able to make good decisions about everything. That kind of business structure doesn't really work anymore. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. I think some people listening might be going, oh, this sounds a bit radical. How on earth does that work? And and what is this strange and mystical way of working? Um, because much of it, I suppose, feels very utopian. I know certainly when I came across even the, the term of self-management um, sort of three years ago, I was kind of like, what is this and, and how does it work? And that's what kind of led me to um, the training of Holacracy. Uh, I mean, what made you sort of choose to go down this route for your business? So Traycraft uh, had been an extraordinarily successful business with a fantastic business idea. But as with all companies that keep rooted to one thing, very often they lose sight of everything else. I think Traycraft had kind of lost its vision and its place in the world. Fair trade has been taken over by supermarkets. They do it much cheaper and one could argue better than we do. And we were slowly losing relevance and market share. And we got to a point uh, two, two and a half years ago when I announced to staff that effectively we were heading for closure. And we went through a very, very painful process of collective discussions and redundancy. In the end, I had to make every single person in the company redundant, which is something as a manager you never want to have to do. It's, it's dreadful. Uh, but then we came up with a business plan, a much reduced company, uh, one that focused its activities on new areas of business, not just fair trade, but the environment. And part of, part of the story, and I'm a great believer in the great theory that there are only six or seven stories in world literature. And if you manage to tap into one of these stories, you immediately hit a deep note that people automatically respond to. One of the stories is the journey, the odyssey. It's not the, we know where we're going and we have a perfect story of love and revenge, but it's actually the journey that is so fascinating. And we agreed as an organization that the 12 people who remain in the company, that if we were going to go, we were gonna do it differently, like Jason and his Argonauts, we would be a band of merry men. I suppose we're in the Robin Hood story now. You, you can see how these great stories emerge. We were going to, organize ourselves completely differently. And that was part of our offering to the business community to prove that you could do it. So it was born out of crisis. And I think that was very helpful for us because 
the normal way of working usually involves a large number of egos and people who have very strong beliefs about what should and shouldn't be done. This kind of swept the board and we had to layer over our individual egos a set of very strict rules about how you work and holacracy is based on rules and a constitution. So that's that's how we started. That was the motivation. Absolutely. And I must agree with you. I love that analogy, actually, of the, the stories, because I really do believe I'm I'm always a big believer in that you really need to enjoy the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about how you get there and the journey that you go on. And I think that is really interesting because not not enough businesses, I think, tap into that kind of holistic approach to their vision and their mission. And that is ultimately what leads people is having this sort of connected feeling to an overarching story. I mean, especially during this moment in time when we all need to feel so much more connected and supported and that sort of sense of belonging to something. I think with everything that's gone on, there's been this huge disruption, even in our human approach to to feeling like a community. Um, what do you think have been sort of the major benefits of adopting a holocratic system, especially during this time? So I, I imagine a lot of people listening in are still wondering what exactly holocracy is and, and how it can possibly help. Um, so uh, hopefully over the next uh, few minutes, we'll, we'll explore some of the details. But the, the principle of holocracy at its core is that if you are given a role to fulfill in the company, and everybody has multiple roles, um, it's very different from a job description, then you have the authority to do whatever you need to do to fulfill your role to its ultimate potential. So rather than having one person at the top trying to make decisions for everybody, you have everybody making decisions for the one company. So when we went into lockdown, we were already very decentralized in the way we work. The person who's responsible for developing new products knew exactly what they had to do, what their authority was, what their rights were, and what the imperative was, and they just got on with it. So Holacracy worked very well in the lockdown when people were scattered throughout the city of Newcastle, which is where we're based. Um, and it allowed people to make decisions that I wasn't necessarily going to make myself. And the most obvious one was the fact that at the moment of lockdown, we, we run uh, an online shop. It's where most of our orders came in. So we were very lucky. And suddenly our online shop went crazy, absolutely ballistic. And we uh, acquired 10 to 15,000 new customers who were looking for toilet paper and detergents, etc., which are products we sell, recycled paper and eco-environmentally friendly uh, detergents, not using uh, exploitative palm oil, etc., etc. And the person who is responsible for B2C customers, there is a role in our company called B2C Maximizer. It was almost as if a little green light went on in that role, and that role said, oh, I can see all kinds of things I can do that I need to do right now. Uh, and so that person just went off um, over the hills and far away, got the budget that they needed. It was already given to them, but they, they repurposed it and started producing bulletins, flyers, electronic mail outs, all sorts of activities that I didn't even know about. And more importantly, I didn't know that they were necessary. I, I wasn't close enough to that that pulse. 
Uh, and so we, we started a whole new dialogue with customers and it happened in one part of the business without me knowing about it, without other people in the business knowing about it, but they were responding to that exact need and they had the full authority to do it. And I think it would be fair to say that that role became for a period and probably still is now far more important as a role than my role as board governance guru, which is one of my roles. It was the role that kept the company going and the person fulfilling it was able to fulfill it. And there were other roles that equally had to step up the warehouse, IT. They had to make quick decisions about changing processes. There was no long process of deciding whether one should or could or, or, or ought to. They just did it. And I love this. Just do it. And if you do something wrong, ask for forgiveness, but never ask for permission. Absolutely. That that really was, I suppose, the just do it attitude is very much about holacracy. So for those who are perhaps listening to that story and thinking, what, someone just went and did it without having to ask permission? And, um, you know, because we're, we're so very much here in the UK, still heavily ingrained in the hierarchical systems, um, you know, give people a flavour of exactly how on earth you sort of set this up and, and how it all works. Yes, of course, it, it could sound a bit anarchic. And I imagine anybody who, who runs a business might be uh, experiencing cold shivers down their back at the moment. It, it does require a couple of things. The primary, for me, the primary thing it requires is an outgoing or uh, someone at the top who agrees that they will submit to the rules themselves and doesn't pull rank halfway through the experience. So if you're the CEO and you implement holacracy, you have to be prepared to let people do what they need to do. Very, very hard. But you're not doing it in a vacuum. It's really important to stress that you're not just saying to people, right, you're running, I don't know, the IT department, do what the hell you like. Quite the reverse. In fact, holacracy imposes a whole layer of rules and structures that stop people from going crazy. The primary starting point for holacracy is that you define precisely what a role is for. You, you, you name its purpose. This role exists to do X. And once you know what that role is for, you've created a kind of a space, safe space. And only that role can do X. Nobody can interfere in X. That belongs to that role. But then as a counterbalance, you set up what we call expectations, which is a list of things that everybody else in the company expects from that role. In other words, if your role is to look after B2C customers, I can layer expectations such as working within the budget provided by the budget setter and ensuring that B2C customers uh, pay full whack for their products and aren't given discounts that would annoy other parts of the sales system. So you layer on these expectations. The fewer, the better. You want to get it just right. But effectively, what you're allowing a role holder to do is to know exactly what they've got to do and telling them what the limits of their activities are. And once you set the limits, then the other great rule of holacracy applies. You drive your Mercedes or your car as fast as you want, as long as you don't hurt anybody else. In other words, 
go for it. We've created the structure and the safe space for you. And uh, Holacracy is probably best known for those who practice it for its meetings. Meetings, there are two types of meetings, but the one that's relevant to this point is a governance meeting where you can constantly define, redefine, improve, amend, change the purpose and the expectations around a role. So the organigram of the company changes almost every day because these meetings happen on a daily basis within various parts of the business. Roles are constantly being refined and getting better, more suitable for purpose. And everybody is involved in everybody else's expectations. So it's not, I set my own expectations, but everybody else helps set the boundaries for me. And that way you, you, you kind of get this ever moving series of circles and bubbles, which kind of bounce into each other and off each other, but always working in harmony and moving, so the theory goes, in one one good direction. I hope that was, I hope that made sense. It's difficult when you're in it to try and explain it to someone who's never seen or heard it. I absolutely agree. When I came back from Amsterdam with this new knowledge, you know, first of all, I mean, I was sat in the airport and I felt like someone had taken my brain and shaken it very, very hard for a whole week. <laughs> uh, because everything that you um, come to be very used to, I suppose, um, within a traditional organisation, within um, traditional hierarchical structures is completely um, turned on its head. And it is. Yeah. yeah, and you just sort of come away thinking, oh my goodness, you know, um, first of all, this is incredible. And why aren't more people doing it? Because at the moment, it's heavily um, in the Netherlands. And obviously, in the US, it's being taken on quite rapidly. But in the UK, it's really taking its time for some reason. Um, and like, like you say, you know, when you when I tried to explain this to people, you know, why have you been in Amsterdam for a week? I was like, I don't even know where to start to make you understand it. <laughs> I think I think the UK has a very unique culture. Uh, we don't like to have our rules written down for us. We have no written constitution, which is extremely unusual in modern democracies. Uh, we believe a lot in the, the concept of the heroic CEO. And if you go to any bookshop and look at the business section, you have this massive section about uh, management. <laughs> And this massive section about leadership. And I think as you and I heard during that week, which was, as, and I agree with you, I came away with my head blown apart, was this kind of statement that one CEO had made having been on the course. He said, well, there goes 25 years of my learning. You know, it's all irrelevant now. And, and although that's true to some extent, you have to unlearn all kinds of poorly learned behavior about what a CEO or a director or a manager is expected to do in a business. It just You've got to be nimble in the head to get your mind around this. Absolutely. I think as well, when you touched on about the roles, I think that's actually one of the massive strengths of holacracy is that, you know, in, you know, traditional organisations, we, um, the only time we maybe ever see our role description is when we're applying for the job. <laughs> Once we get into the company, it all becomes very messy. And we're, we're not really sure about what our expectations are. Nobody talks to us about the expectations of what we're actually trying to achieve. All of a sudden, um, you know, it's very easy to pile on new responsibilities onto people without really asking them or even if they're relevant 
And actually what I I found the, the big, big strength in the holacracy approach is actually you are so ingrained in that role and understanding the expectations and what you're trying to achieve that you do take ownership of it in a much stronger way than you would in any traditional organisation. Yes, you do. Uh, it takes time for people to step up or understand what what's expected of them. But Holacracy has a, a piece of software that backs it up. It's called GlassFrog. And at any day or any minute of the day, I can press a button uh, and print off every single one of my roles with all of their purposes and all of the expectations around them together with all the projects related to those roles and all the actions I have agreed to carry out in the next week. And I can put that on my wall. And it's absolutely up to date. And if I were to print the same document next week, it would be different because things will have fallen off and things will have added on. Now, if you're not in a holocratic business, and I would to ask you to put your current job description up on the wall, together with all the projects and things that you're working on, you'd probably look at me and say, well, I'd have to go to HR and find the file. Most people have no idea what it is exactly they're responsible for, let alone what they're doing now. So it, you do have to commit to spending a lot of time on, on the business as well as being in the business. But meetings, I mean, our meetings where we do quite complex things last maximum 15 minutes because there's a very, very strict structure on how you conduct holocratic meetings. You're not allowed to talk, really. You just listen. It's all about listening um, and reporting. Um, but, but that structure allows people on their first day to know exactly who in the business is responsible for what and indeed what they are responsible for. And one of my favorite experiences uh, at Tradecraft was we employed a graphic designer uh, a young man, very capable, talented graphic designer, and we introduced him to Holacracy. And in fact, I, I helped train him because one of my roles is Holacracy trainer. And I said to him, you know, you are responsible for your own roles and you set your priorities. Don't let anybody, um, to, you know, order you around. As it happened a week later, I, I needed some slides from him, some PowerPoint slides because I was doing a talk. And it was quite urgent for me. And I said, could you do this for me yeah, fairly quickly? And he said, no. <laughs> he said, no, I can't. Um, I, I can do it for you in about two weeks, but I'm, I'm busy with some other stuff. Now, imagine, please just imagine a new recruit saying that to the CEO after three days in the business. I mean, you just can't believe that. And yet, and this is the, the lovely thing about the story, what he was working on was far more important than what I had. I just needed some PowerPoints, but because I was CEO, I expected everyone to drop their, their work and do it for me. He was actually in, involved in an emergency sales flyer because we had some stock we had to get rid of out of the warehouse. It had to go out on the Friday or whatever it was. He knew that that was more important, but he was the CEO of his own roles and his own time. And he was able, quite simply, to say to me, the person who'd employed him, no. And I, I just find that very empowering both for me and him. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I find it very freeing as well. It's, oh, yeah, it, it gives me goosebumps, actually, stories like that. Because <laughs> it just is such a fantastic um, way to it sort of show to people, you know, that actually when we're given the, the trust and the right 
structures and and empowered to do the roles we can really flourish and actually the business can move at a much better pace than when we're trying to silo things all the time much faster we we make major structural decisions and major investment decisions in as i and i'll repeat this 10 or 15 minute meetings and when those things are presented um the structure around which you're allowed to engage means that opinions are not really necessary or wanted but is it relevant to my role is it going to cause me a major problem in my role if not i've got nothing to say and it frees up a lot of potential you know when you look at uh, most hierarchies you, you have this old gray white guy at the top <laughs> and as you, as you go down and i am old gray and white and male and privileged i know i know all this but as you go down the the hierarchy you see more and more diversity both in terms of sex uh, and uh, ethnic diversity and social diversity that's your rich uh, it's like the humus of the of the earth that's where everything's happening you've got people who understand things that the out of touch old guy doesn't and if if you deliberately suppress all that rich material then you're only harming your own business mm. how much better to free it and let it do what it can do best you have much happier employees but of course the business is, is far healthier absolutely i mean going back to the idea of the roles i think a, an area i found really interesting um, during our education on holacracy was um, that permission-led decisions are no longer viable. So people in a holocratic system must, you know, make their own decisions and be accountable for them. And from my experience in working in businesses, I feel many people would struggle with this because we're conditioned from such a young age to be permission-led. If you look at even our education system in the UK, it's still heavily permission-led. You know, nothing that we make a choice about in our education until maybe we decide at university what we want to um, study. We're never actually given any choices about our learning journey. I mean, how long did it take for your team to truly embrace this approach and feel confident not to ask permission for a decision? It, it does vary uh, person to person. And, and I have to preface this by saying that when we re-employed staff for the new tradecraft, we, we stated that holacracy was the way it was going to be. And a number of people decided not to reapply because they just didn't like the concept that they were responsible and would have to make their own decisions. And I think generally across the board, when people implement holacracy, there is a, a rate of around 20% where people just say, it ain't for me. And that's fine. And it's better to part company with those people rather than trying to make them do something that they're just not naturally or trained to to want but even when you've got people who say they're willing the rate at which people understand their potential freedoms is, is hugely different we've been doing it now for a year and a half almost two years and i've got some people who i just can't see their heels because they're so far ahead and i just see the dust <laughs> that they leave behind and they're off and they're doing amazing stuff and there are other people who are just beginning after 40 years of working in conventional business to understand they don't need my permission. And when people come and say, Robin, what do you think? I, I have to train myself to say, well, I can tell you my opinion, but I'm absolutely not giving you permission. And they find that hard. They do. Uh, but every small step for someone like that is, for me, 
as liberating as seeing the other people who are off in the distance. And this is a system that works for young people very well. They haven't been trained badly enough mm. for too long. They get it. They're wonderful. It's the older folk who really, <laughs> you know, it's people like me who really, you know, I have to catch myself. It, it is a, you see the whole breadth of humanity when you put holacracy into, into practice. Definitely. I think it's really interesting. And one thing that sort of did come up, um, which was really interesting when we were obviously learning about this, was I, I feel our ego can play a huge role in creating very toxic workplace cultures. You know, we pour a lot of our identity into our job titles. It becomes who we are. You know, it's the first thing whenever you go to a networking event, I absolutely hate it. Or even when you're going for dinner with friends and you meet other people, the first thing they say to you is, what do you do? As if that is going to be the be all and end all of who you are that in one sentence you saying to somebody what your title is or what you do for a job is going to sum up the person that you are and it infuriates me and I think it's really interesting that you know with the job title kind of actually you know the fact that you can have many job titles in a holocratic system you can have many roles um, as it were um, you know do you feel like there needs to be this increase in self-awareness and emotional intelligence in order to make this way of working a success? I, I love this. Um, <laughs> it makes me it makes me laugh. I'm I'm half German. I am British German, so I have kind of two sides to me. But when I'm in Germany, that does not exist. This it's like when when t- British people meet, it's like dogs meeting each other and sniffing each other. <laughs> Sorry for the image, but the, there's this kind of strange unspoken game that goes on of is my status slightly better than your status are you worth me getting to know or are you so unimportant that actually I'll just give you the time of day for a few minutes and then I'm off it's very ugly and when I'm in my German mindset and I'm talking with my German friends and we we do discuss this this is kind of what are they doing you know why and it's so rooted in our culture this post-feudal hierarchical system. Britain is a very hierarchical system in its social structures. We all know that. So when you put holacracy into a British context, the egos, oh, they can come out strongly. Um, In the early days, when you have these meeting structures and the facilitator, you don't have a manager, you have a facilitator, and that role changes around. The most important thing a facilitator has to learn in the early days is to tell people to shut up and really shut up quite aggressively, as in, no, no, you're not speaking now. It's not your turn. It's someone else. People find that hard. Oh, my goodness. We had people going into massive sulks, standing up, slamming things on the table. We didn't actually have anyone leaving the room in the middle of a meeting, but I've had meetings where the atmosphere afterwards you could have cut with a knife the 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 venom the toxicity and these were people who were engaged in holacracy (laughs) but when but when your ego is is touched oh my goodness it comes out and you have to learn over time that holacracy is like a is like a a non-emotional set of rules for playing a game it's like the football handbook. If the referee says it's a foul, it's a foul. And you can scream in the referee's face if you want, but it ain't going to help. You've got to abide by the rules. And if you have a good referee and a good facilitator, the egos eventually settle down and everybody learns. And it's a learning process. What I think is not important. 
what my role needs to do its job is the only criteria at play. Very, very long and hard uh, learning journey. So if you're about to implement Holacracy, just make sure you have a box of Kleenex to use on there. It can be hard. <laughs> no, I remember going into those simulations during uh, training week. And um, for those of you listening, basically what happened is we got put into a fake company for the week to practice Holacracy and learn Holacracy. And the meetings, I think, were the most entertaining part because <laughs> as I feel you remember, Robin, there, many of us were very vocal individuals who were quite used to having yes. um, our own way in meetings. And all of a sudden, you've got a facilitator telling someone to be quiet. Um, yes. the, the whole experience of those meetings, I think, was just hilar- not only hilarious and humorous, but it just showed the power of them as well and how quickly decisions could get made rather than than this very tiring, boring way we seem to continue doing meetings at the moment where there's not really any any agenda or, or what's what's going on. It feels very fluffy and weak. Yes. I mean, if you were to ask most business people or people working in businesses, you know, what are meetings for? You'd have a long period of silence before anyone actually could tell you i mean i i've spoken to people who have business meetings that last four or five hours you know once a month and at the end they say i still don't know what we're doing (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and i'm sure everyone can relate to that or what what did we actually agree and then you argue about who writes the protocol and then the protocol gets sent around then people say no i didn't say that i mean we've all been there (laughs) in in an holacracy meeting just to kind of pour um, uh, salt into the wounds incredibly strictly structured we we have a weekly tactical meeting which is when we go through our business where we go through about 30 checkpoints things that we know have to be done just confirm that they are done we have about 15 kpis or metrics that we just need to know in order to get the business make sure it's on the right path then we go through all the projects that are ongoing and the key to this is you only update what's new you don't repeat the whole story and then we have a a period where we discuss new problems and how we resolve them and that can be about 10 or 15 items now imagine all that that happens in about 20 minutes and at the end of that 20 minutes you know that all your colleagues have done what they're supposed to be doing you know the full metrics for your circle your area of responsibility you're fully updated in all the new ongoing projects and you've you've gone through all the new problems that have arisen in the last week in 20 minutes What's not to like? I mean, even if you don't do holacracy, just the meeting structures uh, have liberate, has liberated hours and hours of pointless talk in our business. I enjoy our meetings. I'm not sure many people could say that, but I really enjoy our meetings. <laughs> I don't think many people would say they enjoy meetings full stop. <laughs> <laughs> not the way they normally have it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Quite right. So obviously when we were in Amsterdam, we were the only, there was my, myself, um, yourself, Robin, and Sarah, and we were the only three Brits in the room. Um, the most, the majority of people were European. We had a couple of American cousins in there, um, and yeah, I think that said quite a lot to me. If I'm totally honest, um, that it was heavily, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, people in, from the Netherlands in that um, Germany. There was a, an incredible international group of people. It, it was an amazing experience. Just that in itself, I'd never been on a course that had such an international reach. Um, 
and I was slightly disappointed, um, actually, um, for for our our British Isle. Um, I think, <laughs> oh, it's it's just us three going over there to champion the way we're working. I mean, you know, we've sort of touched on it, but why do you feel that you know self management and holocratic systems are not being more widely adopted here in the UK? Uh, and of course, Lizzie, I mean, I remember exactly having exactly the same experience. The extraordinary thing is how brilliantly they all spoke English mm. and uh, their engagement in uh, a wider understanding of culture and business. I, I felt humiliated slightly on my English side. I, I did feel we were kind of the poor cousins, but mm. not, not to go on, on a downer about that. Uh, I think European culture, and it was very much European dominated. This, this in Amsterdam, uh, they they have a an entirely different political structure from us. They have written constitutions, they have uh, governments which are large, by and large, not one party but uh, coalitions, and many of the businesses uh, have been invested in over the post-war period in a way that didn't really happen in Britain. We 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 won the war and kind of didn't rebuild our business thinking in the way that Europeans did. They had to kind of start from ground zero. Now, I know that that might sound a bit of a stretch, but as, as a German, I feel this very strongly. In continental Europe, there was a reset back in the middle of the last century, and that has had far-reaching consequences in the way people think. Whereas we didn't have the same reset, we just got on with this muddling through attitude that seems to characterise the British so well. I think the British are perfectly capable of adopting holacracy. I think the, the learning process will be harder, but actually it all comes down to the person at the top or the board being willing to embrace this. Holacracy has to be decided almost unilaterally by someone because that someone has to give up their power. And that's very antithetical to, as we were talking earlier, I'm the boss, I'm the CEO, uh, I'm important, it's worth your while getting to know me because I am such a, an important person. That, that lack of self-knowledge about how better to run a business, I think, is, is the first impediment before you even get to these cultural issues of training people not to ask for permission. So we need a new generation, I think. We need a new generation of people who are prepared to work differently. And I suppose my final role, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid-50s. I'm your classic, classic CEO. If you put me on a, uh, a crime scene and you lined up the six suspects and, you know, it was the CEO suspect, I look exactly <laughs> like all the other old white grey guys. We, Greta Thunberg, uh, who, you know, whom I admire on many levels, and I'm going to paraphrase her, she said, the mess that we are in has largely been constructed by a lot of old white privileged males. Do we really expect a lot of old white privileged males to be able to get us out of this mess? And the answer is no. So my legacy, if there is a legacy for me in a business sense, is to make sure that there is a young generation of people, male, female, gay, straight, LGBTQ+, whatever, absolutely relevant what their faith background is, what their social background is. All they are are future CEOs. And if I can help make people believe that that's who they are, then I will have achieved more, I believe, than having run 
every other company I've run in my business career. That is very inspiring, Robin. That really is. Love that. So with I said that because I've got a daughter who's 18 and I want her to be treated the way I'm treating the young people in my company. It's all personal. (laughs) I think that's partly it though, isn't it? I think when when you start realising your overarching impact ripples out and I think I think you reach a certain point in your life and I was and many, many, many seasons ago, I actually spoke to someone about um, motivations and, and how our motivations in life change when we go through different phases. So, you know, maybe in your 20s, you're very selfish, you know, it's all about you. And and then I think you reach different stages of your life. And some of us reach this earlier than others, where we think, oh, hang on a minute, what I do actually matters. And, you know, and and I always, I've always kind of lived my life in the fact that I I want to be remembered for how I make people feel more than anything. Cause I think mm. that sits with people, you know, you can always remember how somebody made you feel. I think that very deeply. And so one of the missions that I have through Liberty Mind is actually to, you know, with workplaces and cultures is for people to feel something. I want people to feel fulfilled and happy and engaged. Like we should all be able to go into work. We spend a long time there a long time in our life at work and we should be able to feel something positively about that experience and I think more I'm certainly hoping and and I'm I'm starting to see a lot more purpose-driven leaders coming into business for some reason so there's lots of emerging areas you know like tech for good and other different um you know I suppose industries that are emerging from people that are actually starting to realize that they want to leave some kind of legacy. So I think sometimes it comes down to with the leaders and the founders, you know, actually they have to have that initial thought. Unfortunately, with this particular um, system, it does actually have to come from the founder actually going, oh, is this sustainable? Is me hitting burnout? Because burnout rate of founders is actually really high. I mean, I don't know whether for you, Robin, you reached a, a place where you were like, hang on a minute, is this sustainable what I'm doing? And, and do I want to work this way? Uh, well, um, confession time in my previous job, which was running uh, a fair trade company in Germany, I had the most spectacular burnout. Um, it was a mission driven company full of good intentions. Uh, but the kind of internal politics that are not healthy and I was running up against the brick wall trying to implement change that was being resisted. And I I was very, very lucky. I was off work only for six months. Um, but many people have burnouts with far more reaching consequences. And I think that was a trigger in my own mind. I am not the savior. I am not the CEO who can make things happen uh, by force of will. And a lot of founders and CEOs tend to be very charismatic characters who believe they can. And in your 20s and 30s, you may. But as you hit 40s and 50s, the the essential juices of life begin (laughs) begin to wither up. And you've got to work far more cleverly. And I uh, I mean, I love what you just said about your ambition for, for, you know, liberty. Uh, mind it, it's what there is no better purpose looking back on a life you know on your gravestone you don't want a list of 
you know, qualifications and achievements. You, you want someone to say, oh, what a great guy, or I loved being with that person, or that person was such a mentor. That is a legacy. Mm. Money is, well, in a hundred years, who cares? <laughs> who cares? In 10 years, who cares? You know, you quickly forgot. But that memory of being someone that helped you on your way, that's, that, that's the best I think we can achieve. Mm. So what would your advice be? Robin, to a founder looking to adopt Holacracy or any other type of self-management system, where do you think they need to start? What do you think is the resounding words of wisdom you would offer? <laughs> um, there are three phrases that were very common in Europe during the Enlightenment. Oh, this is going to sound like history. <laughs> uh, but I've the, the, the three catchphrases of the Enlightenment, which have great wisdom about them. One is, I know that I know nothing. So first of all, you have to acknowledge that you don't have all the answers. That's the starting place. I know that I know nothing is obviously the extreme position. But if you are prepared to accept that you might not have the answer, that's a good starting place. The third one is dare to be wise, which means you need to be courageous and brave because to do something fundamentally different like holacracy, and I'm not saying holacracy is the only way. There are many self-management systems, but you have to dare you have to step out of your own shadow in order to be wise. And the third one is that the one that, you know, scary, be mindful of death, which is you at some point will no longer be in your position in the company or as a founder. And physically, you know, one day we will all suffer a natural wastage and go. So what's left after you? And if you are acting as the driver, the sole uh, element of the company, then you, <laughs> once you're gone what happens to the workers in the business so be mindful that you need to find a better way uh, for your organization to survive so those would be the three trigger points uh, and then you need to think about what form of self-management you need to be talking to someone like Lizzie who has a much broader experience of different types of of systems that can, that can help you but um, it's it's a good journey and I come back to the um, that, that you know the point I made earlier this is a story about being on a journey and you do not know the end I love that so many words of wisdom Robin uh, I should become a teacher <laughs> <laughs> oh well it's been an absolute joy to talk to you this morning and I know Thank you. so much so many of our audience members are going to be just totally in awe of what we've spoken about because I think to many of them it might be completely brand new um, yes. so thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and um, yes it has been wonderful speaking with you Robin thank you Lizzie and I, I I loved our time in Amsterdam we we learned so much together it was it was it was great and I, I wish you well with podcasts and with the business thank you so much Robin you've been listening to make it thrive the company culture podcast with me your host Lizzie Benton if you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.